Well, hello, all you regenerative agriculture fans out there. Today, I'm talking with the first veterinarian to be on this podcast. We're chatting with Dr. Lori Davis, owner of the Amanda Animal Hospital in Amanda, Ohio. Now, full disclosure, in my opinion, across a half dozen states that I've lived in and within my own experience of animal emergency situations and vets, she's easily, to me, describable as a big-time doc in a small-time town and just in half an hour outside the capital city of Columbus, Ohio. On many occasions, I've had the privilege of having her counsel and seeing her in action, saving the life of an animal in need, whether a cow or a peacock. She would love to be a veterinary orthopedic surgeon, I think, and she's colored outside the lines in brave controversy, grown a rural practice from very small to prominent, and showed her heart in the community, earned the admiration and loyalty of farmers in Fairfield County, Ohio, in the process. Bravo, Doc. I'm Judith Farrell Horvath, shepherdess and owner at Fairhill Farm in Central Ohio, where we raise hair sheep, dairy goats, and farmers. We also help people get their own regenerative farming and farmerpreneur projects on track for success. And on this podcast, we tackle the experience of farming startups, We hear the stories of learning curves and adopting a farm fresh lifestyle. My mission is to help you sidestep avoidable errors and unnecessary costs or losses and help you to make your own path to successful ventures, no matter how big or small, as smooth as possible. Because I believe in a future of interconnected small farms being the backbone of a resilient local food supply chain. So here's to you, Doc. Davis, mad respect and love in your direction. You're a true gem in my book, Lori, and I'm glad to have met you. Because what else do we need in our back pocket better than a fantastic veterinarian on our side? And now enjoy the interview. Hello, Lori. Hi, Doc Davis. How are you doing? Good. How are you? It's nice to see you and talk with you again. Uh, welcome to the podcast. First time you've been on and hope for more in the future. Sounds like a plan. Yeah. So uh, could you introduce yourself to the audience and talk a little bit about your background? Absolutely. So I'm Dr. Lori Davis. Uh, I am the owner of the Amanda Animal Hospital in Lancaster, Ohio. Um, so we, as a practice, do mixed animals. So we do 50% large, 50% small. Um, my background from myself, um, I actually did not grow up on a farm. I grew up in the suburbs of Cincinnati. Um, I'm not proud of that moment. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't love city life, but you can't help where you're raised. So um, from there, I did go to undergrad and vet school at Ohio State, and I was there for eight years, uh, and that's when I quickly realized that country life was definitely the way to go. So I graduated from Ohio State in 2008 um, and went up to work in Amish country up in Loudonville, Ohio, and I worked there for eight years. Uh, I then had to move back home uh, to, well, my husband's home in Amanda. Um, so we moved down here five years, or I guess seven years ago. I worked at Masterson's Vet Clinic over in Perry County for a brief stint, and then I ended up buying the Amanda Animal Hospital, and I've been here ever since for five years. So like I always say, I'm living the dream one day at a time. 
Wow, that's that's a that's a great story. Um, I love hearing the striking out on your own stories of veterinarians. Now, I I know since I've you know full disclosure here, um, you're my large animal vet um, yep. and small animal vet too. Actually, I don't think there's anything I don't go to you for. Um, I, like, <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, it, it's it's been interesting to see. Um, sort of the evolution of the practice since you joined and the um, the growth, you know, that has happened in the past couple of years. Um, yeah, I was just going to say both the community and also in your business. What, what, do, you, what do you attribute that to? Um, so when I first bought this practice, Dr. Forsythe pulled me aside and he said, you know, I just want you to know that it's probably just going to turn into small animal. And I said, not if I have anything to say about that. <laughs> um, so large animal is my passion. I think it's the passion of multiple other veterinarians here. Um, we all have a very willingness to say yes, if we can. So I think that has really just helped grow us, you know, just always, we can't always be available but when we can, we want to be, if that makes sense. So I think our growth has just come from our passion, to be honest. We just love doing what we do. I like, I like that. And the passion definitely comes through. When it comes to large animals, how do you, I mean, if, if Dr. Forsyth felt that the, um, that the, the, it was going to be small animals, <clears throat> You wanted to take it into a large animal direction. How did you go about making those relationships with the farmers and getting those clients? So a lot of it is word of mouth, to be honest. We have a little bit of a social media presence on Facebook, but honestly, not a lot of farmers do. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of it was word of mouth. It helped in my mind. You know, I came from the Davis family in Amanda. And so that's definitely helped. You know, the Davis name is heard far and wide. So the connections were kind of already there, but once we got on the farms and people realized that we were gonna be in it and stick with it, um, they really just knew that we weren't gonna go anywhere. So um, I think that that helped just, again, the willingness to say yes and, and we will come out. That makes sense. I know that when I moved here 10 years ago, cause I'm not from this area either. <clears throat> excuse me originally but when I moved here 10 years ago uh, I was just getting started in farming and every chance I got I asked every other farmer that I met who is your vet what do you call them for so I know that that's something that farmers do with each other and right. I can ask the same question who do you who do you go to for this or that yeah so that leads me to my next question which is um what do you consider your specialties to be, your strengths? Me personally, um, my strength is cattle medicine and equine medicine. I absolutely love it. And then I, if I have to stick in the office certain days, they do make me do that. Um, <laughs> I absolutely love small animal surgery, um, orthopedic surgery, any, really any surgery on small animals. I absolutely love and it helps with our practice. So now we have five veterinarians and each one of us kind of has their own little niche. Uh, and so we each have our own little 
area that we excel at. So like Dr. Annie absolutely rocks the small animal internal medicine type area. And then uh, Dr. Callaway loves feet work. And, you know, so every, every person has their own little area where we don't have to excel at everything, mm-hmm. but as a practice, we do. That makes sense. So when it comes to people who are new to farming, how do you, um, how do you establish that relationship and give them that, um, give them that level of comfort so that they know that what they can call you for? Um, so oftentimes it's just a, they call in to us and say, we need a vet and we say, absolutely. So they can either bring things into us, which for an initial farm visit, I, we really like to go out to the farm. That way we can see their facilities, see what they're feeding. I mean, it just gives us an overall broader picture. Um, so the first farm visit is really just a conversation, to be honest. We can always go out for the first visit for something sick. Um, but even just having us out there just so we can see what you have, it kind of gives us um like I said, a broad idea of what we're going to be dealing with or what we may be dealing with. And that way we can give them tips, tricks, nutrition advice, um, and that sort of thing. So the first visit, we really just like to sit and chit chat and honestly get a tour of what they have going on. Is that what you recommend for people who are trying to establish a relationship with their firm vet? Absolutely. So, and it's okay to interview, to be honest. Um, I have one equine client who they told me they interviewed six or seven other veterinarians and it's just, you know, you're not going to love every person. So you really have to have that connection and a mutual understanding, if that makes sense. You're not every personality meshes. Um, so I think use that first farm visit as almost an interview type process and ask a whole bunch of questions, you know, ask what would you do in this situation or am I feeding this correctly? Um, so it really just helps to, it's a one-on-one get to know you kind of thing. I like that because it's really, it's really supposed to be a two-way relationship. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, what, what, uh, what questions do you recommend I mean, for people who are new to uh, needing a veterinarian for animals that they can't necessarily take or don't have the uh, interest in uh, packing into their um, vehicle and taking? To- <laughs> <laughs> Not everyone's comfortable bringing a sheep or a goat in their back seat, right? That is correct. We do see it a lot. We do yeah. see it a lot. I, I've right. seen it too. <laughs> I've done it. We've seen some, we've seen some things. Um, Yeah, not everyone has a trailer and not, I I wouldn't have a trailer to be honest either. So not everyone can afford it and not everyone has that capability and that's perfectly fine. Um, So I guess the main questions are, you know, do you travel to where I live? That's the number one area, Mm -hmm. to be honest, because food animal veterinarians are getting stretched thinner and thinner. So there are areas that we cannot service just because of time constraints and travel time. Mm -hmm. So know that in some areas you may have to find a trailer or find a friend or something to get to us. Um, So that would be the number one question. Do we go out there? Um, Number two question is, you know, what is your availability? How often or how far in advance do I have to call to get on the schedule? 
Do you offer emergency hours? Mm -hmm. What's that protocol? Mm -hmm. um, the questions that we often ask for new clients are, can you haul in? Where do you live? And what are your facilities? So if I'm being asked to look at a five-year-old bull, you're going to have to have a shoot. Right. So their safety definitely plays a part in our role. So yeah. unfortunately, there may be times when it, the relationship obviously isn't going to work because it's just not safe. Interesting. So would you recommend that people who are new to livestock um, get the ability to restrain their animals for veterinarian safety and everything and forget being yeah. able, it sounds like being able to get a vet at all. Right. Yeah, right. Bare minimum. Yeah. Bare minimum. We're not asking for, you know, the $50,000 shoot. It, it doesn't have to be anything pretty. Um, we just need to know when we get on the farm that something is going to be somewhat contained or caught because we really just don't have time to traipse through the back 40 looking for the cow. <laughs> um, there, there, believe me, there are times when we can do that if she's down or something of that nature, but we don't always like to go on a wild goose chase. Um, so even like for instance, for cows, a, a general, just some way, either they have a halter on them, which would be fantastic, not always possible, or a head catch. And it, like I said, it doesn't have to be anything fancy, just a metal head gate or just gates in general really help. Small ruminants, um, like your sheep and goats, as long as they're in at least a confined pen, we can usually restrain those no problem. It's the, it's the larger animals that can obviously do more bodily harm where we really like to have systems in place to be caught. That makes sense. So uh, if, so, if a, when I talk to people who are new to farm or don't know anything about farming, I should say, um, I'll say something like, oh, you know, I had the vet out and they say, oh, like James Harriet. Yes. <laughs> yes. I'm like, I mean, yes. literally like James Harriet, that still happens in today. Yes. Today's yes. yes. Farm calls are a thing. It, it is. And we love them. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So do you, um, do you, your days must be really long if you're going from farm to farm based on emergency. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> and that's the benefit of having multiple doctors as well. So our general day, if the emergency phone doesn't ring, uh, starts at eight and we try and end the day at five 30. Um, being that we now have five doctors, we do get to split the on call, but there are days when, I don't get home until 11 o'clock at night. Um, it doesn't happen often, but there are, especially during calving season or our busy season, there are days when we're, we just don't get home in time. We also do fair work. So Pickway County Fair is coming up. So those are also long days. We're expected to be there. Um, so there's all of next week, we won't get home until about 10 or 1030. Yeah, I bet fairs are difficult. Yeah. So what if, uh, what if, what if a client calls and they've got an emergency and I mean, what, what's, what's the, it's not unusual to have to just, you know, sorry, everyone's having an emergency also. And you happen to be the fifth person to call and there's only five of us or four of us available today. And so we, yeah, we, 
basically we triage. So um, there's obviously stuff on our schedule that is just routine scheduled things Mm -hmm. um, that we can sort of manipulate around. So we may have to push them back a little, you know, a few hours or that sort of thing. Sometimes we unfortunately do have to cancel if it's a, like say it's just a pot belly pig toenail trim or something. We may have to reschedule that for a cow and labor kind of thing. Um, But generally we honestly, we run around like chickens with our heads cut off. Um, Then we just know that certain emergencies don't get turned away. We just, we just go there and we just make it work. And as the rest of the team, um, it teamwork makes the dream work. Honestly, I couldn't do this without any of the other doctors. So they pick up my slack, I pick up their slack. It, it just works. Yeah, yeah. So if you have someone who is, uh, if you have someone who is having an actual emergency with say, uh, they're not, let me, let me back up. If you have someone who feels they're having an emergency with mm-hmm. an animal. Uh, do you have any recommendations for things to check for or information to have on hand in order to describe the situation when they call into the veterinarian? Yeah, the more information, the better, because it really does help us kind of, like I said, triage the situation. So, and it obviously depends on the type of emergency. Mm-hmm. Um, like for instance, if it's a dystocia or something trying to give birth, how long has it been in labor? Mm-hmm. Um, is it down? Is it a first time mom? Um, those are all good things to know. General, just status overall of the animal. You know, if they can get a temperature, that would be amazing. Is it somewhat stable? Is it standing and alert or is it, you know, really down and out? Um, not responsive, that sort of thing. So the bigger, more information picture that you can provide us is better. All right. All right. So what items do you um, suggest that new farmers keep track of for their animals? Like you mentioned temperature. So the ability to take a temperature, obviously. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, Someone might not think of until they've got an animal, you know, that's down. Like I, I think I was sort of, surprised this again this is at, my, at the beginning i i know that i was surprised at the beginning I'm like oh my gosh why didn't i think of it? of course you take an animal's temperature i'm like what's normal like i don't know what normal is right yes so like i, I didn't you know, it didn't occur to me that i didn't know what i didn't know but i know human is 98.6 right so other animals apparently they're different like they're normal they are different. different they are different yeah so yeah basically knowing generals, I mean, and you can go, I don't recommend Googling, but you can Google that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, having a temperature, you know, and in general, you're going to know like 106, probably too warm. Yeah. Um, or if it's reading as just low, that's also probably a problem. So (laughs) sadly we see it. Um, a thermometer honestly goes a long way. In terms of other stuff to have on hand, really just uh, honestly like a first aid kit, just like you would have at your house. So bandaging material. So if mm-hmm. there's any sort of laceration or wound or bleeding, you can pressure wrap things. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't have to be beautiful. It just needs to 
pressure wrap. You know, it just needs to stop the bleeding or immobilize a broken leg kind of thing until we can get there. Mm -hmm. um, so bandaging material, halter, or like I said, some sort of way to catch it. Thermometer goes a long way. Some people have stethoscopes. You can get them on Amazon. Um, that doesn't necessarily make or break it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So without any medical training, any formal like med medical school veterinary training, uh, what sort of things do you are do you do you feel like people call you out for emergencies that they could handle on their own, you know, without um, without necessarily needing to call you? Like you mentioned the laceration in the in the wounds. I, I, I know that when I first started out, I was surprised that you know, you, there's a lot you can do just with wounds that look terrible yes. and they don't necessarily need to be stitched up like humans. I mean, can you talk a little bit about wounds? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, that's the majority of the emergencies that don't really have to happen. I mean, obviously there are some, you know, mm -hmm. we've seen horses just fillet themselves open, but general like leg lacerations and things, as long as you clean them up with warm soapy water, um, Neosporin goes a long way, uh, and then just a nice bandage. And they do remarkably well, to be honest. So, and they can be managed at least through that night. And we can always take a look at it the next day. Mm -hmm. Or, and this is another thing, oftentimes we look at things via email pictures and we can tell you should I be concerned about this or yeah, we should really see that kind of a thing. So mm -hmm. that sort of would be another question that you can ask or in your interview process for a veterinarian, like how I don't want to have to bug you every five seconds. If I have a wound, is it okay if I send you these things and are you open to that? Mm -hmm. It was, it was nice to be able to see the difference between, for me at least, it was nice to see the difference in uh, willingness for collaboration between a veterinarian, at least a farm vet, and, you know, the farmer versus even the human doctor. I mean, in, in so many ways, you guys are general practitioners across all these different species, and there's a lot more of a collaborative relationship than a, oh, please, doctor, no, you have to come in, you know, just yeah. for the humans. It's, it's a very different mindset. And I think people who are used to human medicine, and I grew up with a family of human doctors, but human medicine, it's, it's a very, it's a very different, um, it's a different world. It's a different culture for sure. Culture, yeah. um, and that's probably why a large amount of veterinarians don't go to human doctors. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. Yeah. <laughs> Guilty. And my, my family, my family's doctor tend to be fair, they're all orthopedists. So if I have to go to them, I got to go to them, you know? But yes, that's, that's very true. I am, I, and I probably shouldn't say this online, but I treat a lot of things myself. Yeah. Yeah. I just, um, the human medicine world, honestly, it baffles me. I, there's a large disconnect I feel between patient and doctor. I think it's very much, you're a number and you're they're just trying to get the insurance world it just blows my mind i don't it's not the type of medicine i would ever want to practice and when people bring up like pet animal insurance and insurance mm -hmm. coming into the veterinary world it scares me to be honest because that's just not 
It's not the way I want to practice. Interesting. I, I know that the cost that, um, you know, that you pay for X service, if it was the equivalent in humans, it would cost a hundred times more. Right. Right. I mean, it's still not cheap, but it would cost a hundred times. More. Right. Right. You know, I can't right. imagine how much it would cost to get a physician out to my house. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> I need to donate a kidney. If they would even do it. I don't even know. I, know, I don't think do. so. They right. used to, they were called hot right. back. You know, in the days when your doctor showed up with a little black bag and a little black book, right? Yeah. Oh, so, you know, changing tactics a little bit. So something huge happened in the United States this past week (coughs) with the scar. Sorry. (coughs) Pardon me. Something huge happened this past week in the United States with the um, antibiotics. Yes, it did. Can you talk about this a little bit? I I need to hear about this. I need to understand this. Can can you? So, yep. And it all really started, uh, it was probably back, it was back in 2017 when it first started, the whole train got going um, with the VFDs or the veterinary feed directives where we now farmers were required to get a prescription or a written prescription from their veterinarian to put antibiotics into their food or their feed. Um, so there are certain antibiotics that farmers can just feed through their food and water. So to mass medicate basically. Okay. Um, so that started several years ago and it was just the jump start to get where we are today. Um, there's, Starting on June 11th, I think it was, the, they put in regulations that said now any medication, any antibiotic cannot be bought over the counter anymore and you have to have a veterinary prescription. Um, the main thing they're trying to prevent is basically they're regulating antibiotics going into the food supply, which should be done anyway in our mind. Um you used to be able to buy literally anything at Tractor Supply or Rural King or grain mills. You could get penicillin, you could get LA-200, you can get mastitis tubes, you can get any, literally anything you want. Um, and that didn't really come with a lot of guidance on dosing. And so people were pretty willy-nilly about it, dosing things that animals that probably didn't need to be treated with antibiotics that may or may not have even worked at inappropriate dosing. Um, And so there was a lot of, and there's always bad apples who misuse the system and that's a whole nother topic. But (laughs) so they're basically trying to regulate it a little bit more so that way we can protect our food supply. That's a very positive review in my mind compared when compared to, and that's not my personal opinion, but like compared to the chit chat amongst the farmers um, who view this as an intrusion and an overreach and a nanny state, you know, um, but you mentioned that there's a lot of misuse. So you must've seen a lot of misuse in order to, Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, they were using, they were using penicillin for everything. They were, you know, squirting penicillin up into mammary glands. Um, That that's milk that people drink that. So they're just 
the food supply is very important to food animal veterinarians. We try really hard to protect it because it is it feeds America. So there is a you know, it's our passion to have good food and good quality, clean food, if that makes sense. So, yeah. So do you think this is going to make a difference? We hope. We hope it is. Okay. There And there's, I'm not going to lie, there's always going to be bad veterinarians who just sell it to people just to sell it without having a relationship. Mm-hmm. But that's on them. I value my license and like I said I really value what we do and so I'm gonna need to know who you are before I give it to you do you feel like that's gonna put a lot more gatekeeping responsibilities and time and volume on your practice um it honestly really hasn't been horrible yet. I think a lot of people had enough time and warning to kind of figure it out. Um, (laughs) There's always, and like I said, the clients that we have, you know, obviously they're using us already. They understand a veterinary client patient relationship. They value that. And so that really hasn't changed for any of them. It's the people that, you know, have three cows, they need antibiotics maybe every five years. And so eventually they will need us, but I, we're not seeing a massive influx of people demanding penicillin right now. Makes sense. Yeah. I think my penicillin goes bad before I go through it. Most people, (laughs) which is an okay problem. Yeah, yeah, it's probably good. It's probably a good indicator. I kind of, yeah. Yeah. I feel like when I need it, it's a Saturday night. Yes. <laughs> Always. On or a holiday. dark early Sunday morning. I'm like, You're oh right. no. <laughs> <clears throat> okay. Yeah. Well, I, I am actually, I actually feel a little better hearing that from you. I mean, I, I trust your judgment just because of our relationship, but, um, that actually makes me feel a little better. Uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, a lot of chit chat on forums and, and social media groups and the farmer connection zones, if you will. Mm-hmm. And, um, Canada has had this legislation in place, a similar, if not the same legislation in place for quite some time now. I believe so. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of the farmers say it's a pain in the butt, especially for those people. You know, to be fair, I think it's also where people are located because yeah because I see a lot of farmers posting things saying I don't have a veterinarian within 120 miles of me who treats sheep and goats yeah that's a valid concern yeah and I'm thinking to myself what do these farmers do like I also imagine yeah it pains me to know to know that to be honest i mean there's even just parts in southeastern ohio there there's nobody and so to even haul something to me it's going to take two hours so i think there there are definitely areas that are going to be hindered by this to be honest 
Um, it's e obviously easy for me to say, well, just pick up your goat once a year, bring it to me. That establishes our relationship. And then I can sell you antibiotics, mm -hmm. but I know it's a pain to be honest. Yeah. It's, it's definitely an inconvenience for some darn near impossibility for others, but yeah, I guess we'll see. We'll see. So uh, changing tactics a little bit now to um, conversation. Have you seen things change in the past? Well, I guess in the past five years since you've owned the practice, but in the past five years, like, geez, I mean, you started right before COVID, right? So oh, COVID. You've seen, <laughs> so you've seen all kinds of change, man. It's, it's a great time to be a business owner. by fire. I, now that I'm thinking about it. <laughs> yeah. Yes, there is a very steep learning curve to uh, business ownership. That's for sure. Yes. Um, yeah. COVID was a great time. <laughs> oh my goodness. Things have definitely changed. Um, it, some things for the better, some things definitely not. Hmm. Um, COVID in terms of a business, um, you know, we went through the whole rigmarole with, you know, we did curbside, we, yeah. you know, we, we did all, we did all of that. Mm -hmm. um, and that, you know, while it was a pain, it didn't really affect us business wise. Mm -hmm. um, the only thing that did was there was just a massive uptake in pet ownership. Um, it, it, overwhelming numbers, to be honest. And then the other thing that kind of shifted, which I really like, um, but has affected our business is that more people are kind of gearing towards raising their own food, to be honest. So we have a lot more homesteaders or hobby farmers, if you will. Um, so it's, it's more fun for us to be honest sometimes very frustrating but but we like to see people raise their own stuff um but that being said it's just another massive uptake of animal ownership that it's hard for us to combat because there's five of us and there's millions of pets no <laughs> millions so it it's a little overwhelming at times. So you saw it just explode. Absolutely. It literally exploded. And I feel as if it exploded overnight. I don't understand what happened. People got lonely in COVID. I don't, they were just stuck at their house. So they're like, you know what we could do is get a dog. <laughs> <laughs> Great. And a cow. Yeah, yes. <laughs> And, a bunch of and then they're like, oh, the price of beef is really high. I could raise my own cow. Yes, you can. Yes, yes, you can. This is this is interesting to me because uh, the whole reason that I left corporate life is in order to um, work with people who are new to farming. And um, it is. I mean, from my side of things, I have definitely seen a huge uptick. Um even the online forums have changed. People are asking, there's a lot more people asking more basic questions. Mm -hmm. So you can tell there's a lot of noobs. Right. We, we, all, we all start somewhere. That's cool. You know, that's we've right. been there. At least they're yeah. asking questions. They are. They are. They're asking these questions. And um, so what are some of the common questions that you hear from new 
uh, people who are new to um, owning livestock? What do I feed? What do I feed them is the number one question. And number two, um, when do I deworm? Okay. Those are the, because everybody, at least if you're doing any sort of little online research, you're hearing about parasites. So, which is good, um, but there's mostly nutrition things. They just, they have no idea. Um, and then just basic husbandry. Like how often do they need their hooves trimmed? When do they need vaccinated? What do they need vaccinated with? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a lot of just basics. Yeah, yeah. Are you seeing people who are turning anti-vax now? No. Okay. Yep. I small animal wise, there are there's always a little pocket, um, but in terms of food animal, I don't really see any. There was a brief um, stint where the mRNA vaccines in the news was kind of raising a little bit of awareness in some people, um, but everybody's continued to vaccinate. I have, I mean, I, I can, I can tell you that I'm not going to stop vaccinating for tetanus. Tetanus is real. Yeah. Tetanus is real. It's been around a long time. Incredible. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And mm-hmm. the vaccine itself is very inexpensive. A, and it's very safe and it's yes. very time tested and it's right. very non-problematic. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hmm. So if someone is uh, new to goats and they ha- haven't had goats before, what advice would you give them as, hey, I just brought home this cute little goat kids. I got, Run down. The auction. <laughs> I got them at the auction because they're cute because we want to have goats. We want to have milk goats. It's always the auction. <laughs> Isn't it though? Yeah. It always is. Yeah. So um, <laughs> the auction. Um, so we have, and we're starting to do more and more of like client education handouts. So if it's our first time on the farm, we're coming prepared with literature to be honest. So there, um, the, like I said, we're going to go out to your farm. We're going to see where they're living. Um, we have a marked number of people who like to just have house goats. Not my thing, but some people don't. <laughs> um, so like I said, we're going to come out, we're going to take a look at your facilities and we're going to go over, what are you feeding these guys? Cause there's a definite you know, nutritional component to goats for sure. Um, let's look at their hooves. Let's talk about their hooves. I'm probably going to physically show you how to do a hoof trim. So that way we don't have to come out every so often and do it for you. It is something that most people can do by themselves. We're going to show you how to do it. Um, we're definitely going to talk about vaccines and we're definitely going to talk to you about grabbing fecal samples for appropriate deworming. I like that. So in general, you, you do not suggest, excuse me, it sounds like you do not suggest a regular deworming schedule unless there's a reason for it. I I don't want to speak on your policy, but what what is your recommendation? Yeah. So in really any species, to be honest, Mm -hmm. um, so we'll start with like cattle, they're general. We do generally just deworm them one to two times a year. 
because um, we're not seeing a large amount of parasite resistance in that population. Mm -hmm. Horses, we are seeing a little bit more. Um, so we recommend bare minimum one fecal sample a year. It doesn't cost that much. And it, there are horses that generally, if they're in a small enclosed farm that doesn't travel anywhere and they don't go anywhere, they don't need dewormed every month or every three months or you know, they just need dewormed maybe once or twice a year. Um, sheep and goats is a whole different ball game. <laughs> They're just like little dynamite balls of parasites. So I strongly recommend fecal samples on these guys. And you may have to do repeated ones throughout the year. Um, if you're going to do it right there, I would strongly recommend um, just even Googling the FAMACHA scoring system where mm -hmm. you look at their eyelids and, and check and see what their anemia level is. And the, that's what really scares me from buying from auctions, to be honest, is people just kind of, you can buy parasites and you can buy an entire herd of dead animals, which is horrible to say but all it takes is one and it just spreads through like wildfire and they're very resistant sometimes to medications. You can also buy diseases. Absolutely. Pneumonia is real mm. and it can spread through for sure. Yonis, same. Yeah. There's a lot of things that people sadly will dump at auctions because they don't want it at their farm. And lay people who are new don't know. That is very true. One of the things I say is even if the animal was healthy when it went to auction, it could pick up something at the auction Absolutely. and then you bring it back with you. Yep. Or they yeah. can even have a low grade something and then just the stress of being transported, oh, being yeah. in a new environment and then being in a completely new environment at this new farm can just make things exacerbate and get worse. Oh, wow. Do you see Yoni's disease around here? We do. We do. Really? Um, we see it in cattle a lot, um, intermittently in sheep and goats. It's not a huge population, but we do see it. Just for the uh, listeners, Yonis is um, J-O-H-N-E-S. Yes. Like John's disease. Yes, like John's. Yes. Yes. Could you could you talk a little bit about what it is? Mm -hmm. Yep. So that is, it's caused by a bacteria that unfortunately has no treatment and no cure. So, and sadly, no vaccine. Um, it can be spread basically fecal oral. So they pick it up from their environment or from another animal that's had it. Um, but it can also be spread through the milk of a mom to the baby. So um, when it does, so like I said, they can get it at birth. Um, it usually doesn't rear its ugly head until they're about two years old. So they just live with it, live with it, and it becomes a latent infection. And then for some reason it becomes undormant. And it causes, in sheep and goats anyway, and in cattle, it can cause severe weight loss, watery diarrhea that's uncontrollable, uh, and eventually they they die from it. Wow. So it's, um, does it come from, does it come in on wildlife like deer or anything else, a secondary host? I would say they are possible to spread it just basically walking through pastures and bringing it onto your farm. Oh, that makes sense. But they don't necessarily carry it. So the way to test for it is a blood test? Correct. There's two different ways. A blood test is the easiest. Mm -hmm. You can do fecal cultures. Um, 
the problem with fecal culture is it's no a it's more expensive and b they take six to eight weeks to get results wow. so yeah no one wants to wait eight weeks to be honest so yeah there is a blood test um that we can do and we send it out to a outside lab and get results usually within a week or so what other things do you recommend uh, farmers test for for sheep and goats, we recommend it's called a literally a small ruminant biosecurity panel. So it comes with yonis, um, and I spoke too soon, and now I can't remember the other ones. But there's a panel of three. Mm-hmm. Give me give me a minute on that. Sure, sure. We can always edit this out afterwards. Yep, coffee brain has not kicked in yet, but I'll C-A-E? get that. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Okay. So what's in the biosecurity panel? It's Joni, CIE, and there is a third one. Okay. So I was told that OPP is the same as CAE, but it's in sheep. Yeah. It's yes, one is sheep, sheep and one is caprine encef. Oh my gosh, caprine arthritic encephalitis, CAE. Yes. Right. Is the same, and it's it's a virus. It is a virus. Okay. Yes. And so that's the same as OPP, the ovine progressive pneumonia, OPP and sheep. And they can pass it to each other too. Can it jump species? It can. It can. Okay. I did have a CAE positive goat. And because it was before I knew to test for it. And I got rid of her and she had been in with my sheep and I tested all my sheep and they were negative. So I feel like I dodged a bullet, but Absolutely. yeah, I, I mean, you don't know what you don't know. Right. But, um, yeah, I had, them, I had them all tested and now I keep my sheep and goats separate for biosecurity reasons. Right. Is that something, and social reasons, really it was social, then I realized it was biosecurity benefits. Right. Fair. But do you recommend that from a management perspective? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, uh, mostly just for disease transmission, you can you can still have healthy yoni, say yonis, or healthy CAE animals that still serve a purpose. Yeah. Um, but you most definitely know that they're they have the potential to spread it. And so the risk would be they're going to spread it to something that doesn't have the capability to fight it as much, um, and then you don't really want it in your whole herd. I'd be, I think I'd be afraid if I knew I had a CAE positive animal, which to my knowledge, I do not. But if I had a CAE positive animal, I don't think that I would want to keep it on my property because I feel like just I could infect the rest of my everything just or just on my own boots. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And what's to say the fence is going to fences break? Yeah. <laughs> fences break. Three small offenses. Yes, all the time. Yeah, that's Holy true. God. That's true. It's just not worth the risk. Yeah. Have you ever seen it reemerge after they get rid of the CAE positive animals and then suddenly someone turns up positive? Like it's. Insane. I have not. I have not. I've heard of that. I haven't seen it. I don't know of anyone that it actually happened to, but I do know there are some hardcore uh, breeders who will not, they won't even like. They don't have anything to do with a farm where they had CAE there in the past, even. Oh goodness. Yeah, I think I think the awareness of CAE in the goat community is definitely on the upswing. It's on the, right. It's on the increase, which is only good. But right. 
Yeah. What about OPP? Do you see that in sheep too? I have honestly, I've never seen a case. Okay. Which is, which I'm very pleased about. Oh, that's good. I've tested it a whole bunch. I've never seen one. Hmm. Hmm. Can we talk about sheep for a second? I love sheep. I love sheep too. <laughs> um, types of sheep. Have you seen cool. a shift in that in the past five years? Oh, what kind? Breeds, different breeds of sheep. Yes. Uh, and because of the more and more homesteaders, to be honest, we're seeing yeah. like a novelty sheep, if you will, or almost like heritage breeds. Well, hair, well, when I got my hair sheep breeds, my neighbor, who at the time he's gone now, but my neighbor said, those are some special boutique sheep. I'm like the Katahdin <laughs> sheep. Boutique sheep. I'm like, oh my gosh. I, I did have two Icelandics, to be fair. So okay. it looks boutique to him. Okay. Icelandic is boutique. But even the hair sheep, he's like, they're not woolly. Yeah. Right? Yeah. We see so, a lot of hair sheep. The what? We see a lot of hair sheep now. Yeah. They were not very popular at all in the past. And now they're definitely gaining popularity. You said with the home centers and small small mm -hmm. farmers? Mm-hmm. They taste good too. There's no money yeah. to them. Right. I think that's, they have more of a meat quality and a lot of people, they don't, no one is shearing their, you know, no one's using the wool. So mm -hmm. it's less maintenance. It costs as much to get a shearer out to shear your sheep. Actually, it costs more to get the shearer out than you get for the wool itself. Yes. Yeah. So, but right. Why would I do it? But if I have to buy a wool sweater, it's really expensive. That's right. so unfair. <laughs> Who's getting the money? <laughs> I don't know, but it's not the sheep farmers. Right. <laughs> it's not the sheep farmers. Oh, what about goats? And you said you see a lot of house goats. Uh, do you see like other exotic types of goats as well now? Um, right now it's kind of just a mix of like pet goats we have a lot of nigerian dwarf and pygmy people um but a lot of people are getting into the dairy goats which is quite fun i like that well i have dairy goats myself so i'm definitely biased but yeah so you said exotic sheep like the oh what are they called the jacobs with the four horns yes have you seen any of those it, we have we do work with a few petting zoos, so they get they get a little bit of everything. <laughs> yeah, I saw um, one day when I was at your practice, I saw someone had a bunch of golden Guernsey goats in a trailer that they had driven to see you guys all the way from um, a town that is an hour and a half away. Yes. So, yeah, it's uh, they're out there and they're willing to travel to see you apparently. That's our goal. That's that's kind of our like we we're probably not going to turn you away if you can get to us. We will see you. That's good to know. That's good to know for those people out in the other counties that don't have anyone to see. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. What about llamas now? Talk to me a little bit about llamas. We don't see as many as we used to. Mm -hmm. um, I think there was a you know, big trend at one point where llamas were worth millions of dollars. Um, now a large majority of our llama population is actually for guard animals, which is, that's really their sole purpose, which is perfectly fine. Yeah. Um, they do a good job. Yeah. So maintenance on llamas is in general, 
Mm -hmm. fairly easy. The general deworming, um, some require hoof trim, some don't. Um, and the main thing we see with llamas is meningeal worm. So that's really the main complaint that we see them for. Yeah. Now, uh, the meningeal worm, I did lose a llama to, to meningeal worm. I have read that it is brought in by white-tailed deer. Correct. Yep. So if you have deer, you have it. animals at risk, your llamas yep. at risk. Yeah. So the preventative for meningeal worm that I have read up is a subcutaneous injection of ivermectin on a monthly basis. Yep. Every 30 to 45 days. Every 30 yep. to 45 days. Yep. I wish there was a feed through version because my llama is <laughs> full contact sport. If I have to put my hands on her, she's a great guardian, but man, right. don't you put a finger on me. She says, that's right. She's, she's not, she's, she's not social. Not and they're all. not small. No, they're not. They're big, but they're not heavy like horses. You know, right. They're as tall as horses, but they're a lot lighter. They're yes. like a couple hundred pounds still. Yeah. So what is your, what is your, uh, latest crazy story that you'd like to share with someone about Ooh, the, golly. Ooh, golly. something interesting we just have so many do you <laughs> i i confess when i see some crazy pictures on your social media um particularly on boss day oh. <laughs> right so on boss yeah, they like day to staff me. goes a little bit crazy I like to think that they like me. I they don't do. You can tell they do. You can tell they do. It's all in good fun. And all the pictures they post up are of you like smiling and doing something, which is, which is fun. They're not, you know, poking fun at you, but <laughs> um, yeah. Axe throwing with your employees. I mean, if they didn't like you, you wouldn't go through axes with them. Well, right? that, well, that's, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> we try, I try really hard um, to have a culture at, the clinic where people want to come to work. I mean, no one wants to come to work, but if you're going to have to be here, just enjoy yourself. I were, I spend more time with this family than I do with my own family, which sometimes sucks. So I, I want to treat you well, and I want you to enjoy your life. The veterinary world has enough negativity in it. And we don't need that here. This is a safe place. We don't, well, we judge each other, but it's all in good fun. Um, and like I said, we're, we're all in it together. So if that means sometimes once a year, we do turn off the on-call phone and I take them out and we, we enjoy each other, not having to deal with clients. I'm also going to say that one of the reasons I love your practice is because I have seen the same staff faces there for years and years and years. And to me, when I see that, I feel like that is an indicator of a healthy culture, which is good functional relationships between everybody. And that means that's a place where I know that I can go and I can trust that the staff is going to do their best. We try really hard. Yeah. And you guys definitely succeeded yeah. that. You, you definitely do. So we've talked about, let's see, we've, so we've talked a little, well, we haven't really talked too much about horses and cows. Well, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an ex, I don't want to say ex-horse person, because there's no such thing as an ex-horse person. <laughs> you know, 
I, I imagine, I imagine it'd sort of be like some other addiction where you could fall off the wagon and, and, you know, you could get back into horses after being eyeball deep in them for years. And years. A, <laughs> so very so I'm a recovering horse person. I love that. Okay. I'm a recovering horse person. I'm actually starting to look at horses again. So yeah. Um, one of the things I'm looking at is half drafts or draft horses for actual working. Yes, absolutely. On the farm. Do you have any working draft horses or working farm horses that goes, I mean, the, the, here's the tie-in, which is these homesteaders, you know, these, these, these new owners. Uh, the majority of our working, honestly, are Amish. So we, we definitely work with the Amish and I mean, that's, that's what they use them for, for sure. Um, I don't have any homesteaders yet that use horses for that purpose mm -hmm. yet. Hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, I def, I, on my farm, we have a lot of trees like right. half of our property is trees and we have probably about 10,000 extra trees. I'm just going to say about 10,000 yeah. extra trees. Yeah. So uh, one of the things that we wanted to do is be able to clear some of this deadfall off our hillsides and things like that. And I think uh, we do have some loggers. Yeah. The user horses. Yeah. 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 Maybe I'll ask you for a business card if you're willing to give that stuff out. Yeah. It's, um, I think there's a renewed interest in looking at more environmentally friendly ways to harvest timber and yeah. create pastures and pasture habitat for pastures. Right. Uh, I'm sorry, wooded pasture habitat, silvopasture, right? right? Mm -hmm. For um, sheep and goats. I think there's oh, absolutely people who are interested in doing things like that have you seen things like that in your visits to farms um not necessarily mostly because once we get there they're always like caught in a barn yeah so but i i definitely understand the the need to do it or the want to do it for sure yeah so is there is there a big horse industry around here that is racing horses or pleasure horses you're in such we a do a lot of pleasure horses. There are race horses around here. Mm -hmm. um, our practice does not specialize in race horses. <laughs> I don't blame you. They're their own thing for sure. They're just, it's a whole different world, whole yeah. different world. There are specific racetrack vets for a reason and they can keep them. Um, we do, <laughs> we do a lot of pleasure 4-H horses, like little rodeo horses, barrel racers, that sort of thing, trail mm -hmm. riding horses. Um, we just like those types of horses better. <laughs> is, is that your type of horse that you have? I don't have a horse. Don't have horses. I don't have time. I don't have time. Oh. I live vicariously through everybody else. They're on my retirement plan. Yeah. One day. I hear you. <laughs> So what about cows? Do you see more boutique cows and single cows in small Ooh, lots? Yes, yes. A lot of, like, uh, we see a lot of Highlanders now. Really? Everybody, everybody loves them because they're so cute and fluffy. Um, but they come with horns, just yeah. so everyone yeah. comes. Yeah. yeah. Um, we do have inter some Texas Longhorns. We see those. 
Yep, a lot of miniature cows. So there are quite a few pet cow people. We also see a large, or not really a large amount, but some that just have like a pet Holstein. So they'll have like a nine or 10 year old, 1500 pound pet cow in their pasture. Serves no purpose, just eats grass. Mowing the grass. Yeah. <laughs> Mowing the grass, yep. looking good in the front, huh? That's neat. I guess that isn't something that's typical that was has typically been seen in the past. No, a lot of people just use them for meat. <laughs> yeah, but a lot of pet cow people now. I don't know that a lot of cows are able to grow old. They're not, which is difficult for some owners. You know, they're. Yeah body structure isn't meant to get nine years old that's not what they were bred for that's not what they were designed for so it's hard for sometimes clients to understand that they get arthritis mm -hmm. and they may only be five years old when they get arthritis but they weren't supposed to be five years old if that makes sense which is a harsh way to put it but their bones aren't meant to withstand that nor are they probably supposed to get, I mean, we've seen one that was 2,000 pounds. They're not supposed to be Ooh. that big. So their their bones just can't handle it. So there are limitations and it kind of, it kind of gives it a fun way to do it because, you know, a typical feedlot steer, we're not going out and giving it medications for arthritis. So it, it lets us think outside the box a lot. <gasps> um, but it can be tricky because, again, it's still, even though it's a pet to them, it's still considered a food animal. So there are still legal issues that we can't just give any medicine we want. That's interesting. I didn't think of it that way, but it makes sense. It makes a lot of sense because you don't ultimately want to have things like that in the food system. Right. That's interesting. So what does someone do if they have this, this ancient pet cow? And that ancient pet cow is at the end of its life or it passes away. What, what do you, what are the options for someone to, to deal with 2000 pounds of passed away cow? So if it die, they have to bury it. That's on them. Oh yeah. Or find there are some places that will come and render it for them and take it away. You can um, take it to the landfill. Some landfills will accept them. Oh my gosh. But you do have to do a little pre-planning for that. I know back in the day, people used to be able to call the knacker, you know, if they had a horse that was gone. Right. But I don't know that I've seen any knackers around anymore. That seems to be something that is a bygone era. Right. There are, so a lot of people bury them on their farm. Okay. Um, and then there are a few companies that will come out and you can't, some people get them cremated. You uh -huh. can do cremation. Um, but then other, they have basically a common burial ground that they take them to. Oh. If like in the middle of winter, you can't bury them at your farm, they will come and take yeah. it away. Yeah. Hmm. That's, that's good to know. Haven't, yeah. I don't have cows. They're, Me neither. Yeah. They're very they're large. big. 
Right. I, I'm a, I didn't grow up around them, so I don't know. They make me a little bit nervous, but some people get nervous around horses because they don't understand them either. Right, right. So, and to be honest, they, I, they can kill you. Yes. To put it bluntly. They're, yes. They weigh more than you, and they, they can kill you. So I but always say, yeah. yeah, I also think sometimes horses know that you're afraid of them. They're smart yes, and they'll take advantage of you. Yes, they are. They are smart. They're smart like dogs, but they don't have the desire to please usually. Agreed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I still can't wait to get more. <laughs> and that is why we know it's an addiction. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Definitely. Oh my goodness. So for um, you, the, the last animal we haven't really covered or the two animals that I'm thinking that we haven't really covered are pigs and chickens. Oh, yes. There's yeah. always, everybody has chickens. I do have chickens. How uh, many chickens do you have? Okay. Well, I had, uh, 12. Okay. And then this past three days has been very rough at our farm and we had what I'm guessing is a mink come <gasps> through and depopulated all but two hens and a rooster. So it's been a real struggle at my house. Um, but we do, love, we do love our chickens. Um, the problem was it was also part of my son's fair project. There was a lot of tears at our house this week. Oh, no. Yeah. Um, but we, yeah, a ton of people bring us chickens now, which, again, kind of blows our mind sometimes. You know, people are willing to spend like $48 for an office call for us to look at their chicken when I know your chicken could be bought for $2. So, but people love their chickens. We had one lady take their chicken to MedVet one time and spent $1,300 on a chicken. That's a lot of disposable income. That's what I said. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe it was a very special chicken. It had to have been. I hope it was. Well, that chicken's living a good life. Yeah, lap of luxury right there. Yes, yeah, that, that chicken has a very dedicated owner. That chicken won right. the chicken lottery. Right. right. Yes. Wow. Well, huh. A mink. Mink is bad. It's not great. We've had raccoons in the past, and we, we, we've we caught raccoons, but this mm -hmm. one, this one's tricky. Mink? We had one run-in with a mink. Because it came out of the stream at the bottom of our farm, yeah. it came up the driveway, and on Thanksgiving night, many years ago, of all things, of Thanksgiving night, it came into our barn and it killed, I think it was like 25 chickens and five turkeys. Oh my God. Yeah. We had a front- Can you imagine killing a turkey? Like that's a it solid killed a turkey. Yeah, it killed it killed turkeys. It killed because we were saying it had Thanksgiving dinner also. It killed <laughs> turkeys. Yeah, because we had our chickens and our turkeys roosting together. Because right. we keep our chickens and turkeys running together because the turkeys are so big that it, it deters hawks somewhat. Right. So the yeah. 
So it came in and it just, it just sliced their, just slices their throats or bites them. And it just leaves the bodies. It doesn't right. like eat them too much, like a little nibble here and there. And that thing came back the next night and the next night. And I, I said, we're going to have no birds left. Like I'm going to have to right. bring it to the basement. This is crazy. And my husband stayed up out in the barn and when it showed itself he actually shot it he got it but they just kept on coming back and they're little they can get through like the littlest exactly like how do you protect against that i have one inch hardware cloth yep which is a construction project that's not just an installation or a deterrence that is a construction project because that stuff is expensive and it's hard and you need like a special cup anyway Finally, we finally got it. And luckily they're rare. You get one and then they move on. They're right. solitary animals. But, oh my gosh. But it they demolished us. Yeah. It demolished us. Feel for you. I hope you get it. These things are tricky. Yeah. Oh, that's awful. It's mm. been, been good fun. Yeah. So what kind of birds do you keep? Um, we just have an assortment of laying hens. We have mm-hmm. one, our rooster is a black ashalorf, and we have one hen that is that one, and then the only other one left is an Easter egg or, or colorful eggs. Yeah, yeah. I like the green eggs, too. So your son, he lost the, he lost his, his fair, does he do breeding chickens? Yeah, he, well, he did just laying hens. Laying he hens. does market chickens and market ducks also, but we haven't gotten those yet. So. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You see yeah, a lot of ducks? Hmm? I'm sorry. What did you say about your son? We had, we used to have uh, some golden wine dots, uh, buff Orfingtons, and then a uh, some buckeyes. It was a very colorful flock. Yes, we had buckeyes for a little while too. They're very friendly. They're very human oriented. Yes. Yeah. I now have um, Bielfelders. Okay. And. I like them because they're big and they're really docile mm-hmm. and they're just really friendly. I've never had a buck. I've never had a, a Bielfelder uh, rooster come after anyone. Never. Not once. We have some uh, words with our rooster. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Persistent. Yeah. I think chickens are the gateway animal. I would agree with that. A thousand percent. Yeah. Yes. They're definitely the gateway animal because people get into chickens and the next thing you know. They're like, I could also have a goat. That's right. I think the goat is the next step. A mini goat is the next step after the chicken. Yep. Yep. Or maybe an indoor pot belly pig. Yeah. Okay. Yes. I agree. A thousand percent. This is established (laughs) pattern. Is that what you see? you see that with your customers your clients oh yeah i mean yes it happened with my technician becca started with chickens and then she went to the salem she bought baby cows (laughs) chickens to cows is like she uh, yeah she escalated very quickly but she had already (laughs) had goats (laughs) go big or go home what about pigs what about keeping pigs we, um, yeah, we do see a lot of, um, we see a lot of pigs. Um, a lot of our population is show pigs, so it's a little different. Um, but we do have, again, quite a few homesteaders who raise their own pigs for sure and, and have litters and that sort of thing. Um, 
pigs are a different ball game, to be honest. Um, they, I think a lot of people like, like your backyard type pig where it's out and roaming and out on pasture and that sort of thing. And, but then they don't realize that sometimes you still have to have some restraint capability because if you have, if you have a 450 pound sow and you have to give medicine, it, you still have to be able to restrain them. So there's that sort of disconnect with people. The fairing crate has a lot of negative connotation to a lot of people, um, but it really is an okay method to restrain a sow. Pro tip. Yep. I mean, you obviously don't keep her in there forever. Right. But if she's trying to have babies, they can eat them. Oh. They can lay on them. So you'd hate to go through that entire labor and pregnancy and then lose your whole litter. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. So if anyone keeps pigs and then they want the vet to come out and take a look at their pigs, need to have a method of constraint, restraint for them, just like anything else. Yep. What and it may just be a gate. You know, we can do a lot with a gate. But Okay. So what about uh, parasites and pigs? We generally, so they get dewormed about every three to four months and they don't have a lot of resistance. They're pretty easy keepers. That's good to know. Mm -hmm. Huh. I remember growing up, my mom saying, you got to cook pork all the way through. You're going to get trichinosis. <laughs> That's still a true story. <laughs> okay. Okay. So we do see a large population now also of pet pigs, so potbelly pigs and micro pigs. Yeah. I had a couple for a couple of years, and uh, I brought, they came free with the llama. Yes. I, I didn't know they were going to come free. <laughs> she unloaded the llama and two potbelly, and two mini potbellies. No, no, I no. Said, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I just wanted a llama. She's like, no, no, you want these pigs. Like, no, I really don't. No, I don't. Well, I ended up with the pigs because the family overruled me. Yeah, yeah. And I put them in with the goats. I didn't want okay. them with the sheep. I didn't have a spot for the pigs. So I right. put them in with the goats because that was the best, tightest fence Option. because goats. Right. And they did a fantastic job of rooting out all of the yellow dock and singing nettle and yes. thistles and brambles and things that were in that pasture, which, I mean, don't get me wrong, goats like eating, but goats don't want to eat the yellow dock and the skunk cabbage. Right. And the pigs right. rooted it on out and they really cleaned up that pasture. They cleaned it up a lot. And then I sent them on their way with someone. <laughs> they served their purpose. They, yep. They went on their way with um, someone bought a bunch of sheep from me and I sent them free with the sheep. Yeah. <laughs> but I only ordered sheep. No, you want these pigs. No, you too. want the pigs too. Right. <laughs> so they, they got the pigs for free. Buy three sheep, get two pigs for free. I love that. Here you go. And uh, she's thrilled. See? So. It's, it's a, it was a funny thing. I, I wouldn't go and get them again, but it was an interesting <laughs> experiment. Right. And I can, I can, I can attest that you, it's hard to restrain a pig. They're like a tube yeah. of muscle. 
Yeah. You just like, and you can't There's grab, nothing to grab a hold of. Yeah, there's no legs. You can't like grab them anywhere. Right. They're just like, it's like a ball. Like you, yes. you get. And a ball of muscle. Yeah, and they're short. Yeah. So it was like yeah. grabbing this determined, angry, screaming tube of muscle that's knee high. Yes. It just, it, it was hard. It not go well. <laughs> <laughs> and then here, let me poke you with a needle. Right. Yeah. 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 So I confess, I did not deworm my pigs. That's okay. <laughs> I did fine. But um, I have a feeling like if I had stuck it in a peanut butter sandwich, they would have eaten anything. So. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. Wow. So what is the, what is the tip that you would give new owners for, I guess, each one of these species? Let's go smallest to biggest. What, what is your sort of tips that you would do for someone new to chickens? What's, what's some, what's, what's a pro tip? What's, what do you wish that some of your clients had known before they got these chickens get a sturdy coop that'll be number one get your facilities before you get your birds for sure chickens are pretty and they're pretty low maintenance they're pretty easy Mm -hmm. that's why they're the gateway bird pigs pigs so in terms of like pet pigs and sort of thing just and in general on any species just do your research about the breed you're going to get first um know what common diseases they can get um and you don't have to know how to treat them but you just have to know what to look for um and new and what to feed them mm-hmm. pigs are fairly easy to sheep i put sheep and goats together okay um i would say if you're going to get sheep and goats right off the bat i would probably Pro tip is not get them from a sale barn. I would find a private seller and just do a little research and ask if a lot of times breeders will have already done a lot of the blood work panels. And so it's best to maybe just spend a little extra money and buy it from a clean herd. So you set yourself up for success Mm -hmm. instead of failure. Horses. That's a whole different ballgame. General, the horses, um, private sellers also are probably your better bet, but um, in general, if you're first getting into horses, don't don't try and, you know, break the two-year-old as your first option. Get something that's, no offense, like dead and broke. Just the teenage horse who's done its time and could still ride it kind of thing, but isn't going to throw you over its back. Ease into it. All right. Cows. Get a shoot. (laughs) (laughs) Cough it up. (laughs) Get a a head catch. Get some. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> have that first and then after that it's pretty simple all right oh so any other uh public safety announce uh public safety announcements any other psas from the vet to the general population at the beginning of summertime any uh tips for the summer going into the yeah. summer that you'd like to leave with people yeah heat is real um mm-hmm. definitely 
you know, if you don't want to be outside when it's 92 degrees, neither do your animals. So have some sort of, they don't have to be in a stall or they don't have to be in a barn, but have the option for them to get away and have some sort of fly control because flies are miserable. Fly control? Yep. Okay. Even if it's a simple fan, they might love it. Hmm. I don't have a fan in my outdoor run-in area for my sheep, nor do I have, I've thought about installing a couple box fans inside my barn for my goats, but I haven't done it, but. Mm -hmm. And you might be up on a hill enough where there's a breeze where you don't have a ton, but. Yeah, I like that. I like those tips. I like those tips. I think the sheep are going to have to rough it, but the goats, I think I might coddle them a little bit. Yeah, of course. Yeah. They deserve it. All right. Well, this has been super fun. I really appreciated it. No problem. And, yeah. And um, if you want to do this again sometime, you want to dedicate something just to sheep or something just to goats or something just to cows or pigs or llamas, horses, whatever. I'd love to okay. do that. Ducks. I know nothing about ducks. They're just like a bigger chicken that likes water. Okay. I see a lot of ducks around. Yes, they're there. If you keep them kind of in a confined area, they can be messy. Yeah, I bet they are. Because they like water. Yeah, they make mud. Yes. They'll make mud out of anything. Yeah, that's true. I just think about ducks I've seen in the fair. You go to the duck area and everyone's yes. scrabbling around in their water making slush. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much. It has been great uh, talking to you. And, um, I really appreciate having you as my vet. Um, I loved, um, I love getting to know you when you first joined the practice five years ago. And just as you said, um, I called you up and I said, I want to establish a relationship. And you said, I want to come out to your farm. And we sat and chatted and then we went shopping in your truck. Uh, <laughs> and yeah. And, and we sat and chatted and, uh, it was really meaningful to me. I felt like I felt like I had a vet that I could trust. I felt like I had someone that I could communicate with. And even if we don't agree fully on exact management methods on everything, I felt like I could respect your viewpoint. You certainly show respect for mine. And it's just been great from there. So to anyone who's who's listening, I, I just have to say that I've met a lot of vets. I've lived in a lot of places. I've had animals my whole life. I've been around a lot of veterinarians. Um, uh, I'm actually a trained equine massage therapist. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, yep. There you go. See, and yeah, I've been around a lot of vets and, and, uh, seen a lot of things and you, you, you stood out doc. You really did. You stood out in the way you're so personable. And that's one thing. A lot of veterinarians are very animal focused, right? You're, you're everything focused. You know, you get it. You, you talk to the person, not just treat the animal. And, you know, I really, I feel like you establish a relationship. And I guess what I'm trying to say is that there are veterinarians like this out there. And if you have to drive two hours to see them because they're 120 miles away, I feel bad for you. I'm sorry. But I would drive two hours to see you, Doc. I really would. I would drive two hours to see you if I needed to. I appreciate it. Yep. And I still actually have people who drive two hours from my old practice to come see me. This is what I'm talking See? And there's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. We yeah. try really hard. I drive an hour to see my dentist. See? 
Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. It's, it's worth it. It's because I, I, I know that I'm going to get good advice and I can, I can send some crazy pictures. You know, it's, it's funny. You know, I'm like, okay, what is, you know, what do I yes. do? With this? I can't believe I'm emailing this. Did I just really stand behind the sheep and take this picture? Yeah, you did. Right. Yeah, I did. I sent this picture and you're like, okay, we're going to do this, this, and this. I'm like, oh my goodness. I sent the delete, delete, delete. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 It's real. All right. Well, thank you very much. Thanks you're welcome. Thank you. All this right.